Welcome to Podcasting Stories, insights and interviews from people just like you, using podcasts to grow their business and share their message. Podcasting Stories is brought to you by your podcast team, where having your own podcast is as easy as being a guest on ours. Find out more at yourpodcast.team. Now, here's your host, Dave Spray. My guest today is John Melvin, and John is a guest that I've wanted to have for a long time. He's somebody I've known for uh, quite a while, and he has a great story because he actually launched a podcast three years ago, and it was great. And unfortunately, it uh, it did what frequently happens. It, it, quote, faded after just four episodes, and he is not published uh, in two and a half years. So we talked a bit about you know, why that happened, lessons he's learned, advice he might have for other uh, people considering starting their podcast. And then we also talked about his engineering firm. They have a really unique approach to high-end commercial and residential mechanical engineering design and they do some things around lead certification and sustainability. Anyway, John's a really interesting, uh, very thoughtful, cerebral guy. And uh, I hope you enjoy listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed participating. And if you're considering a podcast, uh, he's got some great, uh, great wisdom in there for you. This is David Spray, and uh, welcome to another episode of the podcast. My guest today is John Melvin, and John is uh, a really interesting entrepreneur, and he has a BS in mechanical engineering from Montana State University at Bozeman. He founded uh, JM Engineering nearly two decades ago. And the firm creates engineering solutions for design, construction, and property management professionals across a variety of industries and applications. The firm maintains a primary focus on green building, sustainable energy, and seamless low-impact project implementation. The firm also has a podcast called How Great Buildings Work. John is married to Wendy. They have two children, and they reside in Missoula, Montana. John is an avid cyclist, which is one of many things we have in common. John, welcome to the podcast. Hey, David. Thanks so much for having me. Hey, it's my pleasure. I've been looking forward to this for some time. So let's uh, let's jump right in. Um, So what prompted you to launch uh, JM Engineering? Um, This goes back to from the time I was just a little boy and um, my dad, um, he was a uh, orthopedic surgeon and had his own practice. And um, from an early on time, he had always uh, told me that how important and nice it was to own your own business so that you could uh, uh, be in control of your own destiny. And so I, I, uh, knew that I didn't want to be a doctor. I wanted to be an engineer. I actually wanted to um, fly jets and I wanted to design jets. And um, uh, But I also knew that I wanted to be my own boss. And that was, I knew that more than anything else. And so 
I uh, was a partner in a, a different firm prior to starting JM Engineering and um, ultimately uh, back in 2002, we all went our separate ways and um, that led me into starting JM Engineering. I see. And and by the way, I just it just dawned on me the uh what inspired the JM and J engineering JM engineering, I'm guessing. Uh pretty uh pretty original. Did you have to hire like a branding firm <laughs> to help you out with that? <laughs> well, you know, interestingly enough, my uh my brother in law is witty as he is. Um at at the time I did not have any employees and um he he said, what does JM stand for? Just me. And um, <laughs> so that's kind of been my my inside joke with it is uh, it's it's not my initials. But, yeah, there is a lot of originality that went into the <laughs> that, That's great. <laughs> so um, so. So I uh, we met in Strategic Coach uh, a while back. We're both uh, you know longtime uh, clients of Strategic Coach, and one of the concepts they have in there is what's called a right fit client. And uh, so, talk to me about what the characteristics are of you know the people and the companies that really make for a right fit client for you. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and that I, I do love that concept. And it really, it really helped me define the, the client and the, the characteristics of all the different clients we work with and, and who we want to work for. And really what that is, how I could boil that down is our right fit client is someone that is wanting to work with us, not having to work with us or needing to. And that mm. a client that is looking for someone to find innovative solutions to their problems and um, someone that enjoys what we bring to the table with, with creativity and that um, people aren't looking for us to provide the same type of service on every single project that every project is unique. So that's, that's one of the big qualities that uh, we look for in our clients. Yeah, I can appreciate that. So in summary, um, uh, you know, somebody who wants to work with you, not somebody who has to, or needs to, uh, they want innovative solutions, and just reading between the lines, it also sounds like it matters that they actually appreciate you and your firm. Uh, absolutely. And, you know, I think that comes back to the the wants to work with you and um, has to work with us. And the the ones that want to work with us, they're coming to us because of, you know, we, we, we don't treat this as... Um, uh, ABC engineering group. And we, again, we, we provide a, a unique service and that's not a right fit for everyone. And, and that's okay. <clears throat> um, again, we're, we're looking in order for a project to be really successful. It has to have, um, everyone has to be aligned and, and have the, the common goals uh, to have a successful job. 
Understood. Understood. Well, let's flip it now. We talked about who the ideal client is for you. What makes you and your firm unique that your clients view your firm as being um, unique? What are some of the characteristics of your firm that that yeah. makes it unique? So I think, you know, really the, the big thing that makes us unique and it is is the culture that I I have here with this business is we don't look at so we we provide uh, design services for structural for mechanical uh, heating ventilating air conditioning um, lighting electrical design and when we look at a project it's not we're just going to um, design a heating and ventilating system. We look at it as what is this project used for? So we um, we do a lot of K-12 projects. We uh, just okay. finished a, a, a children's psychiatric hospital project. And what makes us unique about that is we we are designing systems that are there for the hospital so children can heal faster and better. When we go to design a school, um, that's an area that I'm very passionate about, is we're designing healthy learning environments. And, you know, this goes back for us way pre-COVID, but a, a healthy ventilation system um, is it, it keeps kids from being sick and uh, allows them to be in the classroom where they can learn. And so that's, that's what makes us unique is, again, we're not looking at it as just another project. And um, we, we really have a, a high emphasis on what is this, this building going to be used for over its lifetime. Yeah, that's I, I can appreciate that uniqueness. Or if if I if I'm hearing you correctly, you're saying that you you guys go another level deeper in under by understanding the uh, the ultimate specific purpose of that building, as opposed to just like a spec commercial building where you're just building a shell and then each tenant will do their own design. That you're exactly. taking it a step further. Exactly. Yes. Okay. So um, talk to me about uh, sustainable building. Is this something you've always been interested in or did it, is it evolved over time? Uh, it's, it's always been an interest. Um, me being a mechanical engineer, I, it's uh, for me, I've always looked at things of how, how do things work? I've always had a fascination with that, but then, Taking it a step further, I've had an interest of how can this work more efficiently? Mm -hmm. um, how can it work easier? And so we've we've really had a, a, a an emphasis on sustainable design. It's just um, in recent years there's been you know new certifications that have come about with. Lead, which is um, 
U.S. Green Building Council, and there's a, a few other certification programs that buildings can do. And, but interestingly enough, for us, we've always been designing our buildings, our systems, as if it's a a lead um, certified building, um, because again. That's our view is that a system should be just as energy efficient and user friendly as possible. Yeah. And so the, the Peter Diamandis has this expression that constraints foster creativity that you, that it's the constraints that cause the creativity thinking inside of an artificially small box. And what you're saying kind of reminds me of that by, by uh, forcing uh, sustainability to the conversation or lead certification, it automatically results in a more efficient building, right? It, it, it does. And, you know, I think that those programs are great. Um, I, but I go back to that's how every building should be built. Um, it's, I think it's it's again it's a great program because it 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 adds a very clear good layer of accountability um to make sure that there there isn't waste on the project and that you know it, the building is being done efficiently as a po- as possible and as healthy as possible so um again I, I I love I love the 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 U.S. Green Building Council process for that. Um, I'm a very big proponent of it. But at the same time, um, we approach every project as if it is a lead project, and it it just it doesn't add really that much upfront cost to a project. And um, again, that's just how um, we think. The built environment should be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even though I'm I'm not a, an engineer, uh, I've always implicitly like had a. Uh, uh, there's always been a, an appeal to efficiency to me in all things, sure. and so that uh, that's the aspect of, of the whole lead and sustainability that makes sense is the idea that you you pay a little more upfront, but you you get it back in you know, cost savings and operational savings and uh, other, uh, you know, that you get a financial payback. And then there's also the intangibles of a building being more comfortable and enjoyment of being in the building higher. And, and uh, so, yeah, I, uh, I get it. In fact, you had a guest, Kath Williams, on one of your podcasts yeah. talking all about lead. And uh, it was really fascinating to hear her perspective because you could really, because it, 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 it really sounded like it had been kind of an uphill battle for her in many ways to try to right. pull these these developers along and show them the uh, how much more efficient it would be to to operate that building. Right. And and I think that that was you're right. And that that was uh, I think that's always been a a struggle on a lot of projects is, you know, and understandably so people are are looking at 
the the bottom line and what is it going to cost to build this this building on day one but what unfortunately what gets missed an awful lot of the time is what is it going to cost to operate this building over time and mm-hmm. um and and that leads into so many things of the the occupancy rate and um or if you own the building and how healthy are your your people are they are you reducing sick days by 10 20 percent um that alone is is a huge number over the course of the life of your business Uh, are people as productive as they can be because they have adequate lighting in their offices and the temperature is consistent and not drafty and so there's all these little things that i think it it has taken a lot of time for these studies to be done um, to actually have numbers behind to back it up that yes spending a little bit more up front does have big payoffs down the road yeah and i'm more familiar with this concept with residential construction because my wife and i have owned you know a number of houses through the years some we bought while they were under construction some were you know 20 years old and it's always so frustrating because <clears throat> like like when i first when we bought our first house that was under construction we thought that builder grade meant the top of the line and we discovered later that builder grade meant the cheapest way you could do it and and it seems like even a lot of these builders of of moderately priced houses that they're kind of trapped by the market because you know they might spend ten thousand dollars more to make the house more energy efficient yet because it's all hidden you know the buyers all they see is well hey this other house is $10,000 cheaper and it looks just the same on the outside and our payments, you know, $19 a month less. And uh, right. so it's always struck me that that, at least on the residential side, that it's that a, I don't know that how many builders really care and the ones that do, I don't know how uh, able they are to educate the market to get them to pay that, you know, itty premium. Right. And and that is the struggle is, again, it, it takes the right um, kind of buyer, whether, you know, they they come into the project with that mindset. So they already understand that. Or do they have a willingness to listen and learn and consider that? Um, a lot of our work is what I would call ultra high-end residential work um extremely expensive projects and what is interesting though is uh, the bulk of the the projects we work on there is a the 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 owners are extremely interested in having the project be as energy efficient as possible and so we do a lot of geothermal design where yes it's more expensive up front but it also has a a greener footprint to it if you will and mm-hmm. it also saves money uh on the the heating and cooling bills over time so isn't that interesting the people who yeah could most afford uh artificially high maintenance costs 
are the very people that are more concerned about it. And so maybe that's how they ended up to the point in life where they could afford that ultra expensive sure. house is because they watched uh, they watched those costs in their businesses for decades. Right. That, exactly. Okay. Well, um, so, you know, speaking of clients, so just out of curiosity, what are some of the biggest misconceptions that clients have about working with your, your company? Is it that they think you're, you're too expensive? You're too, you know, what, what are the misconceptions that, that you find that, that potential customers have? Well, sometimes we have, um, clients and ultimately it leads to them not being a right fit for us and us not being a right fit for them. And um, when it comes down to uh, paying for our professional services of them not understanding the value of what that represents, of if we design something a certain way, the construction cost may be less as a result of that, or that our plans allow them to receive multiple bids on their project and therefore they'll get competitive pricing and save money. There, mm. So again, those can be, those are some of the common misconceptions of they will have worked on a project before where there never was a, a, an engineer involved. And so they had a contractor that said, oh, we can handle all that ourselves. And so that's, that's, that's been one of the, the big common uh, misconceptions of, you know, why do we need to pay for an engineer um, when our contractor says they can handle it himself? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can understand that. I have a good friend who's a high-end residential architect, and he finds the same thing that the sure. – the that the contractor will say hey you know this is close enough to another house we did we already have those plans like why spend the money for an architect right right yeah that makes yeah, sense yeah that it that, so that's probably the biggest misconception misconception is the the value that a a design professional does bring to the table mhm mm yep i can certainly understand that well, I'd like to now shift gears a little bit and talk about your podcast, if you're up for that. Yeah. Um, so uh, what prompted you to uh, start the podcast? I, I think where that came back from was, again, you had mentioned Strategic Coach, and there were a number of um, colleagues in the program that had started podcasting and I became very intrigued by that and at first I uh, I think what it was was I could th hear their stories and and it became easy for me to understand why they would do that and mm. that I could see the value it would bring to their business and but I struggled with where is the value for me by me starting a, a podcast. And, but then I think 
through talking with several people, it, 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 you soon realize that everyone has a story to tell. And when you're in business, you're, you know, people, people obviously want to work with you. And if you have paying customers, then they value your service. So that means you do have something to offer, uh, to the marketplace to share. So, um, I would say it, it came from, again, talking with individuals in, in strategic coach program and, and, encouraging me to start one and and see where it led me because i've always enjoyed listening to podcasts myself so um i i think that's uh that's where it all came from okay yeah and that's similar to to my story uh, uh as well so what have been some of the best things about having a podcast well, as you mentioned earlier, mine's been very limited in the the number of episodes I've done. But what I have found from the very limited amount was I've had a few instances where I have talked with some new and slash potential clients. And we had talked about different systems that we've designed or different projects and all of a sudden I was able to say well I have a podcast on this and if you want to have a high level uh you know understanding of how these work or or what's involved with it give it a listen and and it um I I can remember speaking with with a couple different firms and when they heard that I had a podcast, it was like, you know, kind of like this, oh, almost like, oh, you have a radio show type of thing. So it, you know, I, I found that that was a, one of the really neat things about that was just that, again, it's easy to have a podcast, but then actually having one and saying that you have one is, is, uh, I think a, a, a nice little tool to have. Yeah. So if I hear you, what I think you're saying is that the best thing was the, what it did for your credibility and reputation with potential clients. Is that about right? Exactly. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I found the same, uh, the same thing. So we're now going to, you, you kind of alluded to the, the question that you, you sounded like you knew was coming. So I'd like to talk to you about the I challenges. Yeah, about the challenges of maintaining a regular podcast release schedule. But let me just set up the situation for the, uh, the listeners. So, so the name of your podcast is uh, how, oh, refresh my memory. I just had it pulled. How up great here. buildings work. How great buildings work. Yes. Um, and so I had learned that you had this podcast and uh, and I said, great, I'm embarking on a long, solo, fat tire bike ride in the wintertime. Uh, this was uh, over Christmas a couple of months ago. And so I found the podcast. I subscribed to it. You know, I noticed there were a few episodes. I always like to start at the beginning and listen in chronological order, probably because I'm kind of an anal kind of accountant kind of guy. But uh, so I started and I finished the fourth one 
right as my ride finished. And, uh, and I especially enjoyed the episode on chilled beams. And, uh, so then I thought, that's really cool. And then the next time I went for my next solo mountain bike ride, I thought, I'm going to fire up John's podcast and listen to like the next three or four episodes. And you know how the story ends. It turns out that, it turns out there were only four episodes, and I'd listened to them all in a single <laughs> sitting. I, I didn't know I was binge listening to your episodes. <laughs> and uh, so – uh, so I'd like to kind of talk a bit about that, but to kind of set it up for the listeners. So you're actually in very good company. I don't know if you know these statistics, but so there are w- roughly 1.7 million podcasts, but there are less than 400 shows that have broken the glass ceiling of at least 10 episodes and having published in the last 90 days. And to give you an idea of just how challenging this is, do you know who Kevin O'Neill is, uh, a.k.a. Mr. Wonderful on Shark Tank? Yes. So I heard him on a podcast a couple months ago, and I really enjoyed him. And then I thought, I wonder if he has a podcast. So I looked, and he had one called Ask Mr. Wonderful. And it released in November of 2018. Same thing. I started at the beginning. And uh, in his last episode, he started November of 2018. The last episode was December 31st of 18. He was only able to release six episodes. And then that was it. And then like, it just it uh, no more. So anyway, I just wanted to make you feel a little better that even a guy <laughs> like that who has media uh, access and you know Twitter followers and and all the resources to be able to succeed at a podcast, even he couldn't break that magic ten episode barrier. So uh, uh, so anyway, so now we get to the question part. Now that I've set that up, and so since Kevin's not on the show. For me to ask him, you know, like what happened, you're the you're the lucky guy in the hot seat. So my in my experience, I find or my supposition is that there's there's four reasons that that uh, uh, companies uh, stop uh, releasing new episodes. So one is, you know, they never intended to have more than a certain number of episodes or they intended to have. Uh, more than you know, say four episodes, but but it turned out they just ran out of topics, or they intended to have you know more than say four episodes, but it just became too time consuming or too overwhelming, or they intended to have more, but they just you know kind of lost interest in it. It just turned out it really wasn't their cup of tea. So, do one of those scenarios describe what happened with you? Yeah, um, to a degree. Um, okay. Or if not, why don't you give me of, your I, Yeah, no, I will. So the, I, I always intended to have more than four. I had, my intention was to have at, at a minimum one podcast per month. And, mm-hmm. um, I, um, uh, I really, really enjoyed it. And I think I had actually recorded five podcasts. And the, um, the, I just, I, I love talking to people and hearing them explain what it is they do and, and why it's unique and similar to what you're doing. It's, it's, I, I find that it's really, um, 
I enjoy I enjoyed it a lot. I enjoyed being on your side of the microphone more so than the side I'm in, on now. And, okay. Um, Me too, and, by the way. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, um, but with the um, you know the topics, um, I I have a a list uh, somewhere. Um, I think in um, in my computer of all these topics of, you know, at first I thought, well, what in the heck am I going to talk about? And, and then, uh, so I started putting down a list of all these different topics of things that I've come across in my years of being in this business. And, um, it, it really kind of became endless what I, I could do. And, and, um, and so, that hasn't been the issue. And then I started to, um, uh, with my assistant, have somewhat of a, a, a process in place of getting them um, produced and cleaned up and then getting the, the text put together, the show notes. But I think for me, it, it really came down to the, that end of it was it was just a a process that again it wasn't that difficult but at the time it was it was more than what um we had the bandwidth to do so it was you know again it it became a little bit too con- time consuming not so much for me at all but mm-hmm. for my assistant uh who was putting things together yeah, and because and life is like that, right? Like in isolation, it doesn't seem like that big of a deal or it takes up that much time. But this was one of a hundred initiatives that were going on yeah. simultaneously, right? And, uh, right? and something had to give. And I know I had a bit of my, with my first podcast uh, show after COVID, I had about a, a, a several month, I call it in hindsight, a sabbatical uh, and I think we didn't release an episode for maybe four or five months, maybe six. And, um, and the thing I noticed was it was like any other regular activity. The more time that passed, the harder it was to like restart it. And, uh, right. did you find the, the same, uh, did you have the same experience? Absolutely. Yes. I, I found that 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 to be really the the biggest thing was once i once i got away from it then yeah it just it became you know there became more and more other things that that seemed to take priority over the podcast whereas when i started i had great momentum i think i got my my five episodes recorded in a month and a half and you know, I had a lot of energy going into it and then, you know, life happens and it, it sure. got, you know, people got busy and, um, yeah, before, I before it. long, it's two years ago. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, no, I get it. And the guest, this, this new podcast, podcasting stories, it's all about people who are considering a podcast or who have had a podcast for, for a short period of time or a long period of time in just uh, sort of the insights to share with people who are 
considering having a podcast. So I appreciate your candor and I hope you didn't feel like I was putting you uh, too much on the spot there. No, not at all. It's, uh, you know, you, you have a podcast about podcasts and I think <laughs> it's a great, it's a great question of, uh, yeah, there's people that start them and, and then like me, they, they haven't continued through with them. And I think it's really interesting to find out why, why they haven't done it. And I think it's also good for people who haven't started one yet that are thinking, gee, I'm, I'm interested in this, but I don't know how. And it, it, it's not as easy as one would think it is. Um, there is a bit involved to it, but again, I think that you've demonstrated and, and that having a podcast is a, can be a great tool to have for um, promoting your business. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that has certainly been my experience. So with that in mind, like what would be, like what might be the advice you would have for somebody who's listening to this, who's contemplating a podcast and they're maybe not certain that they want to move forward. They're sort of on the fence. Like what, advice would you have or what you know questions do you think they should ask themselves because i mean just to set the stage uh uh my i have another company and our sole focus is helping people have podcasts the service is called podcast done for you and uh and so and even though we're trying to help people really the last thing we want is somebody who would launch and then, you know, stop quickly, you know, that's not good for them or for us or for anybody. So we're doing kind of everything we can that if somebody's not the right fit to, to discouraging them from starting a podcast. So what thoughts might you have or questions that you might suggest somebody consider before they uh, launch a podcast? Yeah, I think first of all, really define what it is you want to have a podcast about and and then search on on the internet for a podcast that may or may not be um, somewhat related to what you want to do and give it a listen if 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 it or they exist out there and um I, and and then reach out to uh, friends and and colleagues and say, hey, do you you know do you think that here's my idea? Do you think is this something you would be interested in listening to? Um, I I personally, for me, I I like to gather facts on everything before acting, and and so I. I did a search myself to just see what there was out there about buildings and, um, you know, different building systems and, you know, anything with that, that industry. And honestly, at the time, I, I didn't find really a thing. And so I thought, well, okay. Um, so there isn't really much out there. 
Um, and, you know, then I thought, well, maybe that's for good reason, because no one else is going to find this interesting like I am. <laughs> so, <laughs> maybe. Um, but then but then as I started calling um, people to be guests or potential guests, a lot of them had said in the industry of, I am so excited you're doing this because someone has been needing to put together a podcast so that we can get information out. So I did, you know, a, again, a very small validation of, yes, there is, uh, there, there are people that will listen to this. And, um, so I should try and, and do it. And, I think the other big hurdle that I had, which I'm gathering most people have, is no one wants to listen to themselves. And uh, you may, I would be curious to find out how many people listen to their own podcast. Because <laughs> I know mm -hmm. that I've only listened to uh, very little of myself because I don't like listening, hearing my own voice. So, um for, for, you know, I think that's something that people just need to know that most everyone feels that way. And you just have to put yourself out there. And this is a great big world. And, you know, you've listed the, the number of episodes that are out there. People are, are searching and listening to things. And um, so, again, find a topic that interests you. And, um, and then reach out to find someone to help produce it and and find a, an expert that can do that for you so that all you're doing is talking about what you know and are interested in mm -hmm. well i think that's great uh, that's great advice i would uh, agree because i've been asked that same question before and my uh, answer was similar to yours so yeah. i can't believe we're already uh more than 40 minutes into this my <clears throat> how time flies when you're having fun so um so here's a question that i don't remember who i borrowed this from but i'm going to ask it anyway so what advice would you have for your 25 year old self oh uh, boy in terms of a podcast or no, no, just uh... life life in business yeah not even podcast just business and or life yeah. just in general what do you wish you knew when you were 25 that you know now that you could go back in time and and tell that 20 that knucklehead 25 year old you know i think probably the the biggest high level view is i read the book the slight edge and um Learning that a having goals, I would say, is probably what I would tell myself of really pay a lot of attention to your goals and constantly read your goals and refine those, have short-term and long-term goals. But back to the slight edge of knowing that things take time and a lot of a lot of success most success in life does not happen overnight and it's the result of continuing 
continuing to refine what it is you're doing and making those slight improvements day over day and making those slight improvements just in your life in general day over day rather than thinking I'll worry about it tomorrow rather than deal with it today. So I think that would be my my advice to my 25-year-old self is again know that what you do today matters down the road and and continually develop good habits and focus on your your goals. Well, I think that's great advice and so I think another way to say it is to to be patient and make daily progress. Yes. Yep, I, yeah. I would agree completely. Well, um, John, it's been a real treat for me to have you on the podcast. Well, thank you. I've enjoyed it very much myself. It's so let's a lot of fun. Well, uh, I'm glad that you've enjoyed it. Uh, well, let's wrap up. So the podcast, the name of that is How Great Buildings Work. If so, if so, because, you know, not everybody is up for listening to 500 episodes of a podcast. <clears throat> so if you're looking for a great podcast that has defined all their wisdom to four episodes that you can easily <laughs> capture, this is the podcast for you. And uh and, and and I mean it seriously, you have some great guests and I've learned a lot about building, especially the chilled beams that really uh, resonated uh, with me. Um, so that's that. And the name of the firm is JM Engineering. What is the website? www.jmengineering.net. Okay. And if somebody wants to reach out to you, uh, what's the best way to do so? LinkedIn, Twitter, send you an email? Yeah, LinkedIn. Is, I'm on LinkedIn, uh, John Melvin. I can be found there. Um, that okay. is, uh, or through our website. Okay. Super. Well, was there anything that I didn't ask you that you wish I'd ask you? No, I I think you uh, you covered it quite well. I, awesome, as as I was expecting. Awesome. Well, John, I will look forward to our next time that we're in the same city and can ride bicycles together. Oh, same here, David. All right, you have a same great here. day. You too. Thank you. All right. Bye. And there we have it. Another great episode. Don't forget to check out the show notes at www.podcastingstories.com. This podcast is brought to you by your podcast team. If you have ever considered having your own podcast, head over to www.yourpodcast.team to learn more about how they can help you. That's it for this episode. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you next time.